2016, the A&E Network had filmed and edited an eight-episode series about Scientology that has never aired. We've always been curious about this show produced by Sirens Media and the person who was meant to be its presenter and star. So, in this limited podcast series, we're talking to some of the people who were involved in it. Today, we're talking to Derek Block about how the Sirens Media series tried to help him see his mother, who had not seen him for several years because of Scientology's harsh disconnection policy. Hey, Derek, thank you so much for joining me. Um, you know, this is a special series that we're doing, and it's a subject that we've talked about before. Um, in 2015 and 2016, this production company, Sirens, made this TV series that you were involved with. And about a year later, 2017, you wrote this wonderful piece for me about what it was like uh, being a part of that show. And I guess I want to revisit that now because its I can't believe it's five years later. Yeah, time flies. It's been wild. And it I guess it just looks like this thing's not going to get sold. We don't know. Who knows? Maybe someday it'll be seen. But um, I guess uh, I want to revisit some of the things you talked about, the, the this really emotional attempt to see your mom. But also some more of I, I don't I want people to understand some sort of logistics about the show and what what you think it might have looked like first tell help me out let's let's go back a little bit i first uh encountered you in 2012 you wrote some really great stuff online about your experience i wrote about you the village voice um you've got a really interesting story about how your family was deeply into scientology you you signed up in the sea org how old were you when you first signed up uh 14. i started officially started when i was 16. So 16-year-old Sea Org kid. Sorry, 15, 15. 15. And uh, right around the time that you were discovering that you were gay and you got kicked out for it. Not just got kicked out of the Sea Org. Your family kicked it. It kicked you out of the family. Yeah. And so we've talked about, you know, Scientology's homophobia and Scientology's disconnection. Um, And you've written about that. You're a really good writer. You've, You've really helped people understand how devastating it is when Scientology splits families up. That was in 2012. Now, 2015 comes along. I I heard from this company at some point, said that they were interested in doing a show. Tell me how you heard about it and how they first got you involved. Man, um, how did I hear about it? I feel like it was, I feel like they reached out to me, um, I think either through email or maybe they called me. And of course, I was a bit skeptical at first, um, but they, you know, I talked to them long enough that I was kind of like, if this is some kind of weird Scientology ploy, it's pretty outrageous. So I, you know, I just kind of decided to go with it. Um, and so there was a lot of emailing back and forth. I recorded an online interview, um, but initially I think I heard about it because they reached out to me um, over I think it was email at first and then on the phone. They had me call them. And what did they tell you it was going to be? They told me it was going to be like a multi-episode docu-series. And essentially what they were trying to do is reunite Scientologists or ex-Scientologists, I mean, that have been 
sort of separated from their family members and friends, try to get them reunited in some way, or at least try to like give the ex-Scientologist an opportunity to reignite a relationship with somebody. That was the main goal from what they were saying. To, to basically try to reunite disconnected families. Yes, exactly. Yeah. They want to re they wanted to, they wanted to focus on Scientology's policy of disconnection. That was going to be the exclusive or like the primary focus of it and try to get basically try to get Scientologists in touch with their families despite that. Or ex-Scientologists, I mean, in touch with their families despite that. And um, so then they had to like interview you quite a bit and get your backstory and everything. Yeah, it was a lot. I mean, I, I think I was I think I did two separate, you know, multi hour interviews, maybe three, four hours a piece um just where they got my whole backstory and i think just enough in information to make sure i wasn't full of it you know they got to do their vetting and what was your impression of them i mean did they seem like they um i mean obviously they're interested in a good story that would make good television but did they seem to have some compassion about what you were going through honestly yeah i mean from the very beginning uh you know from the first people i talked to it seemed like whoever was behind this was really sincere uh, and really wanted, you know, the large, the public at large to understand, like, how awful this, you know, policy of disconnection was. And so, I mean, were there some strategy sessions to try to figure out, okay, what are we going to do in Derek's case to um, pull this off, that kind of thing? Yes. So as part of the show... They had, um, I think, a psychologist, and I think they, I, I can't remember who the other person I met with was, but it, it they were both like interpersonal relationship specialists, and um, it was sort of a discussion about, um, I mean, just really a really real discussion about. So if we, you know, if your mom is willing to talk to you when you meet her what are you going to say? Like, what are, you know, what's the first thing that you're going to say? Or how are you going to keep the conversation going? Or how's it going to feel if she turns her back on you? Or, you know, things like that. Just trying to get me to envision different scenarios um, and try to, like, have a response ready for them. It was very helpful. And and logistically, what was the setup? Was, she, was your mom Sea Org at that time or was she public? No, both of my parents uh, were, they actually have a, it's called Block Frankel CPA, I think. It's my dad's, it's like a, a practice that he opened, which is what he wanted to do for a long time. So they were working there at the time. And uh, my mom, I think, is usually, she's like the receptionist slash office manager. My dad's an actual CPA. And so uh, they went to work, I mean, on a pretty regular basis. Uh, I mean, I was a little bit, I felt a little bit, you know, morally ambiguous about the fact that they had a PI find them and, you know, sort of get their routine down. Um, they showed me like a picture of my dad to make sure it was my dad um, and a picture of my mom to make sure it was my mom. And then they talked about, you know, just other people that he saw coming and going from the house. Um, they were just kind of scoping out for a couple of reasons. One, because they had had situations where in other episodes or when they were trying to film other episodes uh scientology was alerted beforehand and was able to avoid any contact by moving the family or something like that 
Um, basically just warning the family that this was going to happen. So they wanted to make sure that my parents, you know, weren't really aware about of what we were going to try to do. Uh, And then just wanted me to confirm that they were, you know, the right people. So we didn't just show up and it's the wrong people there. Um, And then the whole plan uh, was we, we, they found out where they worked and generally about what time they show up to work every day. And we parked in an alley, um, you know, right near where they parked their car to, at work. And they drove the car, you know, they drove the car we were in, which was an SUV, up behind where my parents park, but far enough away that if my parents wanted to leave, um, they could, you know, they had the space to, they weren't trying to block them in. Uh, and then one person got out of the car with me. They had a camera to document the whole thing. Um, and so basically we just waited for them to pull up and they pulled the, the SUV up and I hopped out and I just saw my mom getting out of the car and, you know, I was, I didn't know what to say. So I just said, hi, mom. That was all, that was like the first thing I said. Was she shocked? She was, um, she was, she, again, how, how long had it been since you'd seen her at that point? Sheesh. Uh, that, at, at that point it had to be five years, I think. Wow. Because I think it was like 2017 when we were filming this, um, and 2015. Yeah. Oh, was it 2015? Yeah. Oh, so then it had only been three years. Okay. It's been a long time. It's <laughs> hard to remember. Um, but yeah, it um, it had been a few years, regardless. Right. That we hadn't seen each other, and I look really different. Um, I'm sure than the last time that she saw me. I had longer hair, and I had let my um, facial hair. No, but she, she, I'm sure she recognized you and, and recognized did. your voice. And, sure. uh, that, that must've been some moment. Yeah, it was, it was intense. Um, for me, I mean, it was just, I don't know. I didn't know what to expect, I guess. And I just, I felt sad, <laughs> uh, because you know, it's the person, it's the same person I've been seeing every day of my life for, It was 26 years before I finally, you know, moved out of the house and I hadn't seen her for several years. It was just a little shocking. And what, what was the thing she said to you? Uh, she told, she just kept saying, uh, tell CJC, I think were the, the words she said. And yeah, so basically that is. The CJC is short for Continental Justice Chief, and they're part of the Scientology organization. Um, it's a Sea Org role, and they're supposed to be the only way that excommunicated members or disconnected people can speak with relatives inside of the church. You're supposed to write to the CJC or call the CJC and have them relay a message to your family member in Scientology. And you know, to to we we should point out that um, there was a cameraman behind you at the time that she could see, right? Yeah, and I, you know, they had given me some options about that, uh, but the thing is that I didn't want to have to try to film it myself or record it myself. I wanted to be able to focus on my mom and hope she could get past the fact that there was a camera there, you know, at least maybe for a second. Um, 
And yeah, I think maybe it sort of hindered her ability to speak because she felt like she was being recorded. But at the same time, it was important to me that the whole, you know, encounter be documented. Right, right. It was just a risk reward kind of thing, you know? Yeah. And how did you feel afterwards? Um, I mean, I tried to ask her to hug me. Or I did ask her to hug me, and I tried to get her to hug me. And she just wanted to shake my hand, which I didn't quite know how to take that, you know? Um, I figure if she hated me, you know, she wouldn't touch me at all. But I'm, you know, I just... It was a lot to process, as you can as you can hear. Uh, it was a lot to process. Uh, you know, I just kind of got back into the car they had brought us in, and we drove to a nearby park and just hung out there for a bit. They gave me some time to process, asked me some questions, um, you know, about how, how did I feel and what was that like for me and different things just to capture my emotions at the time. It was really um, bittersweet, I guess. I felt like I had some more, like a little more closure to what had happened because when I originally separated from my family, it was just really, it was sudden and it was overnight. I mean, it was, I, we were, they were gone. I was gone and that was it. Um, so this gave me a chance to sort of try again and to at least to myself say that I made the honest effort, you know, and at this point it's up to them if they want to, you know, talk to me anymore. Um, so it was a relief and it was, it was sad. I mean, you know, I still love my mom. I can't help it. It's not, you know, something you can just turn off and it was painful, you know, seeing her and not even getting a hug from her that yeah. hurt a lot. What did the, uh, what did the crew tell you afterwards? Were they, um, I mean, did they feel like there was some good footage and there was going to be a decent episode anyway? I mean, what what did they? What sort of indication did they give you about how things went? Um, they so they just uh, you know immediately after the encounter with my mom, they were very uh, they were very compassionate. I have to be honest, and there were a couple of people who were crying, you know, because I was crying too. And I could tell they were, you know, really, they cared, which was surprising to me. I, I didn't honestly expect that. Um, and then a lot of their, so a lot of the question they had around the episode itself was they were afraid that, because my story doesn't really have any big, like, twists or, like, you know, it's not, I, my parents aren't anybody famous in the church. And my story is not, you know, the best known, the the best story out there, or I guess the deepest story out there. It's just sort of your basic, like, ex-cultist story, you know? Um, and I'm just a normal member of society. I'm nobody special either. So I think they were afraid it might be a little bit underwhelming as part of the series compared to some of the other footage and things that had happened up to that point. But... Um, after they reviewed everything, uh, you know, from all the footage from the show, from the uh, filming, sorry, all the footage from the filming, once they had reviewed it, they said that it actually was, you know, it cut into a pretty good episode because they had a final cut at, at the point that, um, and it was actually uh, not to bring him up 
maybe give you a segue, but it was actually with Jamie that I had this conversation. Well, I mean, come on. I mean, I don't know where you why you feel that way because your story's devastating. I, I don't feel that way at all. They were no. worried that it would come off that way. You know what your, I mean? Your story's devastating, and the fact that your mother had not seen you for three or four years after they disowned you, and you yeah. showed up so that you could see her and ask for a hug, and she just told you to see the CJC. In other words, you know, go talk to Scientology, don't talk to me. Yeah. I mean, that's devastating stuff. And if they caught it on camera, I would think it would be just, you know, just really gripping television. And, and, and what it would do is it, it shows people, I think sometimes the general public thinks of Scientology as a bit of a joke or, or this celebrity yeah. thing. And it would just put in their faces what this really means to families. So I, I really think that your story, I don't, I don't think you should, you know, diminish your story at all. But the, I did want to ask you about Jamie because um, this is one of the things that I really haven't discussed before in any of the stories was that um, I, I want to ask you a couple things. First of all, you've mentioned this a few times about other episodes. I want to ask you, what were you aware of as far as what else was going to be in the show, what you were told or what you saw? And then the other thing, of course, is I want to hear all about your interactions with Jamie because Jamie DeWolf was going to be like the presenter of this show. And this really would have been big for him. And I'm, I have never really asked you, I asked Phil last time, but um, you know what your interaction with Jamie was. And it sounds like it was pretty intense. Yeah. Uh, he was definitely there with me every day of filming. Um, he helped sort of work with me and the production team so that I could, so that he could sort of interpret things that they were asking me to do or like, you know, how to present the answers to my questions so that they don't have to, you know, play the producer asking the question. Those kind of little like for camera things that you have to do, he helped really like get, show me how to do it. And then he also was there every time, you know, I got emotional every time that it was tough for me. Um, he was, even after filming, you know, when the cameras were off, we hung out a lot, the two of us. And he's honestly, I mean, I, he's a really, really great guy. Um, at least that's the perception I had of him during filming. He was a sweetheart. I mean, he just, I've never met somebody that cared so much about something like he did. And I'm, that was probably the most upsetting part about it filming is that, or it not airing is that he like he would have been a great person to present this to people you know he has such an in-depth understanding without being inside of it and it gives him i think an objective view of things that would have just helped the general public understand why scientology is so evil yeah I, i'm sure it would have been devastating for him to explain that about scientology i mean um, he was just such i mean he was a big part of you know, just helping me through the really emotional moments. Wow. Yeah. He's such an empathetic person. I was really like, I, you know, I didn't know what to make of him at first because he's, he's just very energetic and, and I'm not, you know what I mean? And, and he's very like, um, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. Like he's just an animated character. 
and I'm I'm not quite an animated character, so he uh, I'm a little more subdued. So at first I didn't know what to make of him, but after I spent maybe an hour or two with him, I, he was a big part of me trusting the show. He was a big part of me being being willing to do it because I knew his face and I knew who he was. And I was like, this guy is never, like, he would not be involved in some Scientology plot, you know? Like, there's absolutely no way this guy would be involved in that. So once they revealed that he was involved with it and everything, and I got to talk to him, I really felt a lot more comfortable about the whole thing, too. And and my other question about, you know, what did you, what were you aware of as far as what was going on in the other episodes? And did you get a sense that yours was one of the early ones filmed or one of the late ones filmed? Mine was probably towards the end, um, I imagine, because it seemed like there were there were a few before me. Um, I only sort of got that. It was later. It was later when we filmed because not only did we film the episode that I was in, but there was some kind of like reunion episode um, that everybody who was on the show participated in. And so we went to it was in Florida and we even went to the Scientology um their the uh, superpower center down there and we were you know walking around with protest signs and stuff it was a whole thing that we did so that's the point where i started to get more information about who filmed before me and you know what were the other people's filming like and you know how did their attempt at reconnection go and and you all gathered by the billboard right that phil and yes. willie put up we did yeah the one that was right there in um clearwater it was really awesome, and it was really hot and muggy. <laughs> <laughs> and based on what you heard from the others, you know, what sort of impression do you th- did you get about the whole series? It sounded very much. I, oh man, it sounded. First of all, it sounded really good. Um, I mean, it sounded exciting, and it sounded like it was informative too. Um, you know, it sounded like something people would watch, uh, and something I would watch, honestly. Um, it it seemed like the episodes were, or at least the series was focused on, it was, it was about building up to this encounter and then, you know, trying to set up the encounter. So it was, you know, you talking about your story and then meeting with, um, meeting with the psychologist and meeting with, um, I forgot who, Another person, there was another person that helped us plan, or helped me plan, you know, my meetup. And I, I think they did it with other people, too, because everybody I talked to seemed to already be mentioning, you know, in the other episode, in the other episode, which is also how I kind of got the idea that um, already several had been filmed. And they kind of had, like, a routine down by then, too. Um, the production team was telling me about uh, Phil and Willie's episode, because I think theirs was the first. And it was a big a big learning experience for them. What was Jamie's sort of role in it? He he did a lot. Honestly, he was intricately involved in helping the production crew and helping helping them understand how Scientology operates and how to avoid like getting run off of Scientology property or like how to spot. Scientologists that are watching you and making sure that, you know, they weren't driving by taking pictures of us while we were filming and stuff. He, he coordinated a lot of that. I mean, they had a a security guy on, you know, on the, 
payroll, obviously, but Jamie helped coordinate a lot of like what to expect from Scientology and their response to things. And there were a few times where I remember um, production hadn't listened to him and things had gone sideways because they didn't do it the way he told them to, because he just has such a really good understanding of how Scientology functions. And that was really, he was that and he was hosting. I mean, he was, he was going to basically present our stories and help us tell our stories. I see. Wow. I mean, and he was never in Scientology, but I mean, he's, you know, L. Ron Hubbard's great grandson and he's been aware of it and studying it for many, many years. So he knows it really well. And to be honest, I mean, it's, it doesn't take an academic to understand something some guy just made up, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So, um, what did you start hearing about why it wasn't getting an air date? It was, I want to say it was maybe about three, no, maybe six months after, like after we filmed the reunion episode, because we thought, you know, after that it was going to air within the way sirens had it, you know, they said it was already, it already had a date and it was just a few months away and it was going to be in the, in the September season. And then I think they sent us an email saying it was going to go into the, uh, it was going to be the spring season, I think was the second one. And then again, they pushed it back to the following September. And then eventually a few of us that were on there, uh, started talking to each other and we're just kind of like, so what's the deal? Like, have you heard anything? Have you heard anything? Eventually, um, you know, I sent an email to Sirens and a few other people called them and tried to talk to them. And they started just dodging our calls and not responding to our emails after a while. Um, basically, it sort of was implied in things they said that it was not there were no plans to air it right at, you know, right when they finally said it, which was maybe a year later. They said, there, you know, maybe they'll get a date in the future and they'll let us know. And that was it. <laughs> It was a very unceremonious dumping. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's that unusual for a network to order up more than one uh, series of a, of a type uh, and then just air one and not air the other. I don't think it's that unusual. But, you know, when it's something so emotional and draining and, and you know, scary with the Church of Scientology and everything, I mean... It's it's just a shame they couldn't either find a home for it at A and E or sell it to somebody else. Yeah, I mean they honestly they should have sold it. It's a good show, and I you know I think it would still hold up even today. Although the world you know a lot has happened, it feels like a decade has passed in the last five years. But yeah, that's true. Well, yeah, but I I think you know uh, there have been some wonderful other shows that have aired. Um, but it seemed like this show uh, took a, a unique kind of approach to it. One that I'm not even sure I would have advised them. And just for full disclosure, I, I, I was paid a little money for a few months to help them just line up some people for episodes. Yeah. Uh, it's a very small consulting fee that I got to, to, to call up some people and encourage them. And, and they, I think they got two episodes lined up uh, with my help. Very, you know, just a very minor connection to the show, but um, 
anyway, the uh, uh, where was I going before I said that I worked for them? Anyway, um, they they clearly um, wanted to do something a little different than everyone else had done. Oh, and I, what I was going to say was they just consulted me just to find some people. I'm sure I have a feeling that if at the time they had told me what they were going to do, that they were going to try to set up these these emotional, you know, uh, unpredictable encounters, I probably would have told them they were crazy. That was you a know? big, yeah, that was a big thing. Um, because when they were explaining to me what they wanted to do, I told them the same thing. And, and the production crew was like, you know what? Yes, you know, we, we know this is crazy, but we really want to do it anyway, which is just, that's what made me like, that's what made me do it. You know what I mean? Like knowing that, that they knew it probably wasn't a good idea, but whoever it was that came up with the idea for the series, cause I still don't know where it came from. They, I mean, they really cared. I think, I don't think they were worried about legal repercussions and stuff like that. As a result of this, I, I think they just really wanted to try to a help people reconnect with their family members, but also, B, get the word out about, you know, what Scientology is and what it's doing. Yeah. Well, look, I, like I said, if they'd asked me, and of course they didn't, but if they asked me, you know, what do you think of our idea? We're going to try to put together these disconnection scenes. I, I would have told them that, that you're crazy. That's just too dangerous. But it sounds like they pulled it off. Yeah, they did. They did, Tony. They did a great job. Um, I mean, I don't know that there were any... It didn't sound like there were any real successful reconnections. Um, I think maybe there was one. Uh, but that that was, you know that also was expected, I think, by most of us. We knew it, it was probably like... It was a Hail Mary, but it was sort of at a point where it was like, why wouldn't I do it, though? <laughs> I don't have anything to lose. Yeah, but it makes the point. I mean, yeah. the fact that they work to get you, and I think you were, you had also told me earlier that, you know, you were taking precautions to make sure Scientology wasn't aware of it. So you were taking lots of precautions before that day to make sure they yeah. didn't even know you were there. And, and then, you know, you come out and meet your mom after three or four years, you haven't seen her. And she just tells you to go see the CJC. Now you, now, you might think that's unsuccessful, but on the other hand, it demonstrates the point that that Scientology, the way they get into the mind and the way they rework the way people think, that a mother would say that to her son, go see the CJC, rather than just give him a hug. I mean, the, the, the rewiring of the brain that has to take place for that to happen so even though yes it's quote unquote an unsuccessful reunion it's a perfect illustration of what scientology does to the brain yeah absolutely i mean i i don't know how i you know i guess it changes people a lot um i mean and it, it changes your whole your your whole hierarchy of needs um that you know scientology becomes the number one thing in your life and anything that threatens that even if it's your own you know flesh and blood that you gave birth to and even if they didn't do anything wrong 
like even if they dislike Scientology, then they can't be with you anymore. I mean, that's really, it turns people into that. And it's wild. Uh, like, you're right when you say rewire the brain, because it does. Well, after you wrote that piece for me in 2017, uh, describing some of this about what you went through, after, a couple years later, um, you were saying that you'd heard some things about your mom being sick. Is she is she doing better now? Honestly, I have I I don't know. Um, it was sort of word that some. Oh, I think that she had told one of my uncles um, that she had colon cancer, but I don't know whatever happened to her. Um, I mean, I I tried for a couple of days. Because uh, I was on, I, I, I think he reached out to me on the phone or something. But a couple days after he called me, um, I started calling, you know, just hospitals and palliative care places around asking if my mom was there. Just, you know, is there a patient? And I, you know, by her name. And I couldn't find her. I mean, I called around where they last lived. I looked for, you know, I started with colon cancer specialty places and then I called hospitals and things like that. Um, I don't know if she would have ever sought, you know, proper care for it. Uh, but because, you know, Scientologists love to do the Scientology thing, which is, you know, try to audit it away. And so I don't know. I don't know what happened to her. I don't know if she's still alive or not, to be honest. You don't even know if she's alive or not. No, the last time that anybody in, in my extended family heard about her was when she told my uncle she had colon cancer. Oh. And they, my dad wouldn't bother telling them if she died. He doesn't care. Oh, Derek. Yeah, I mean, I'll probably do a vital record search, you know, next year or something to see if a certificate was filed. But that's what about I do. your siblings? I mean, isn't there some chance that your brother, or your sister would reach out and tell you what's going on no no my relationship with my sister is just it's it's the same as it has been with my family i mean she doesn't want to talk to me my brother the last time i heard about him he was in the sea oregon getting married somebody shared pictures of his wedding with me um because they knew somebody that was there uh and they're both like my sister she can't she doesn't want to speak to me because she believes she follows my dad i guess is is how you could put it or mm -hmm, right yeah so it's not really about scientology for her but it's more about what does she have to do to appease my dad and then my brother you know being in the sea org i probably would never hear from him again most likely i mean unless the sea org falls apart between now and then but who knows well, sadly, I think there's a lot of people in that position that they're waiting for some sort of collapse. And, and you know, uh, I mean, Scientology is definitely hurting. I don't think there's any question about it. the pandemic has been very difficult on Scientology. I don't know that the Sea Org is near collapse, but I think it's becoming a challenge to do the staffing that they think they need to do. Uh, and I think there's a lot of families out there that are waiting for some sort of event um, where the Sea Org people suddenly don't have orders being barked at them anymore. And they might actually think about going back home. So 
I don't want you to give up on your brother. I think I think at some point your brother's going to have to face the reality that this organization is failing, and maybe at some point he'll reach out to you. That'd be nice. Um, I mean, I I certainly harbor a lot less negative feelings towards him and my sister than I do my parents. My parents, I, I would honestly question my ability to ever feel, allow myself to feel the same way around them that I ever did, you know? I don't know if I could ever feel safe with them or trust them ever again um, after, you know, everything. That's just got to be the most awful feeling. God, I'm sorry, dear. Yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah, I mean, at the same time, I want to say it's not their fault, but also I can't, you know... How do you forgive somebody for treating you like that? You know what I mean? It's yeah. really, and beyond even forgiving them, I could never realistically feel the same way about them that I did when I was younger. I, at first, when I, you know, when the, when I first agreed to do it and when we first started filming the episode, I was really like you, like, damn, this is crazy. This is never going to work. Like what, you know, what are they thinking? And but the more I worked with them, the, the more, you know, we talked about it, the more we planned, the more I was like, they really know what they're doing, actually. Somebody spent a lot of time planning it, which is why I still, I mean, I want to know who, I would like to know who, I, whose idea it was in the first place, because damn, they planned it really well. Do you think it was Michael S? Or Chris S? Um, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. The producer, Chris. Um... Yeah, I think I know your. I remember him. I do. And there were a couple of different Chris's actually. I think on the, on I remember there were like three of them. Okay. Um, but yes, I remember him. Um, and I do remember he was a significant part of you know directing the activities of the production crew and us. And um, I I just. It may have been him, but he just didn't seem, he seemed like he was an executor, not somebody who actually came up with the idea. Okay. I'm not sure, you know, I, I couldn't confirm or deny. Right. Yeah. I, he really seemed to more, it, it seemed like somebody had the idea for this episode somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And these guys were all hired to produce it. At least this is the way it seemed. I don't know if they talk about it that way intentionally, you know. Um, but if it was there, if it was his idea, I wouldn't be surprised because those guys really—they, I mean, especially the, especially the producers—really seem to be invested in our well-being. Our being the people who were participating in the episode, they really focused on our well, our well-being. That's interesting because I, they had first reached out to me like a year or two earlier. I think the first time I heard from them was more like 2014. And one of their people called me and I get this, I used to get this call a couple times a year, not so much now. I think people are a little more knowledgeable now, but a couple times a year, I would get a call from a producer saying, we're interested in doing a TV show where we follow a young Scientologist as they leave. And I would, and I, I swear they would always say it that way. And I would say, <laughs> look, this isn't MTV. It's not Amish, the Amish people. Okay. Right. You, you got to understand I, because that's what had gotten them all excited with these shows like that on MTV. And I said, Scientology, you just don't understand Scientology. If you think that's what's going to happen, you're, you're, you're going to, you know, the best thing you can do is talk to somebody who has left 
and it can take a while before they're ready to talk. You can't follow them on the way out. So they said, thank you. Okay, thank you, and, you know, whatever. And I didn't hear from them for a, at least a year. And then they called me back, and then they had told me that, okay, we're, we're putting a show together. We've hired Jamie DeWolf to be the presenter, and this is how we're going to do it. So some somewhere in that time, they had done that, what you're saying, some idea person had come in and say, this is how we should do it. And I'd like to know who that was, because you're right. It was pretty smart the way they figured out how to do it. They seem to have quite a bit of foreknowledge and, and they seem to really be able to anticipate what Scientology would do in response to the production. It was really like after, and also all of the crew members even the cameramen, you know, they seem to have some awareness of Scientology too, like of uh, how to spot somebody who seems out of place or the whole crew was aware when there were people around who didn't belong. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if they weren't part of our party, if they weren't right away, you know, everybody, anybody, a cameraman was on it. Uh, Jamie was on it. The security guy they had was on it. Um, they were really focused on it was surprising the amount of attention they were able to give to me and what I was doing while at the same time giving the same level of attention to our surroundings and the people in our environment. It was really, really, really just somebody knew what to do. You know what I mean? Have you, have you talked to Jamie at all in the last couple of years about this whole experience or anything? No, we talked for a while. Um, and I mean, I just, we talked for a while after that. Uh, I, I was pretty upset about what was going on. He tried to defend Sirens for a little bit because I think they were probably telling him, oh, yeah, we're still going to release it, you know. Um, but I vented my frustrations to him sometimes. And other times we would just talk to, to catch up, but I haven't talked to him in a while. He seems to be doing really well. He's, he's, he's pursued, you know, uh, he was already sort of the, you know, the showman. And, and I was so fortunate when I, on my, when I was traveling around for my book in 2015, I went out to San Francisco with Paulette Cooper. He put on this amazing circus uh, show uh, for Paulette and me and my parents. And it was just fantastic. He's great. The guy is such a wonderful performer. But I think since then, maybe because of the sirens thing, he has focused more on film these days as well as his, you know, performing. He's still doing that, but uh, he's put a lot of time into filmmaking and he, he seems to, I follow him on social media and he really seems to be enjoying what he's doing, but it is a shame that he missed out on, on this thing because I, I would love to have seen his interaction with you and with Phil and some of the, and Willie and some of the others and how that would have looked. I gotta be perfectly honest. I mean, I, when I met, when I met Jamie and all the time I spent with him, I mean, I all but fell in love with the guy. He's just really one of the, I don't know, I, I you know, I don't know the right word, but he's really just one of the the greatest people I've met. I mean, he is so empathetic and he's so intelligent and he's so caring and like, I just can't, I couldn't think of anybody better to be hosting a show like this, you know? He, he was just such a great guy. I mean, he is a great guy. I'm talking about him. I haven't talked to him in a while, but he, he is a great guy. And he just really, I, he made me feel really good, you know, despite even when I was sad, you know, he was, he cheered me up, you know, he helped me feel better. 
he helped sort of like either let me talk through things or he would talk me through difficult things. Um, it was just, yeah. I mean, he's just a really great guy, honestly. Yes. And so are you, Derek. I mean, I'm, I'm so glad that uh, I got to um, first encounter your story 10 years ago and you've been Thank such you. a great uh, contributor to the underground bunker and 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 things are turning out well i mean i know this thing with your family is so terrible but you know you're you you found a wonderful guy you you seem like you're a very happy couple uh i know you've been focusing on schooling and your career i'm almost done what else, what else can you tell us about how, how, how are things going for you now so i moved i used to live in hollywood um i lived there for a while with my husband and our cat and then a, a friend of ours bought a house, uh, actually a couple of friends of ours bought a house. And so we moved in with them so we can sort of contribute to each other's lives, you know, and help make each other's lives either easier because it's been, it's hard <laughs> right now. Yeah. It's expensive right now, <laughs> everything. Um, and so we actually just went to Disneyland, Sal and I, over the weekend. Um, we had a really good time. Uh, my life is just it's stable, which I really like. I feel safe. I feel I'm, I'm happy, you know, with the people I'm with. I'm in such, um, I'm in much, a much better place than I ever would have been with Scientologists and under the control of Scientology. Um, I have a, about a year left on my schooling and then, um, I'll be, I'm getting a degree in forensic accounting and uh, fraud examination. And so I'll get my CFA, which is a certified forensic accountant after I finish my schooling. Um, and I, you know, I just, I have a much more positive outlook on life from a personal level. Obviously with everything going on in the world and stuff, it's hard to have a positive outlook on the greater future, but on a personal level, I'm doing well. And um, I'm really happy, honestly. Well, you certainly look at, you sent me some photos recently and you look great. And, Thank you. uh, I, I hope uh, I can get out there before too long, and I'd love to see you again. Yeah, it'd be great. I would love to hang out. Um, I hope we do HowdyCon again one day, one year. That'd be fun. <laughs> yeah, I, I, oh gosh. Those yeah, are, I know, I know. They're hard to organize, but, uh, well, listen, Derek, thank you so much for, for bringing us into this part of your life. I know it wasn't easy, and it's such a great disappointment, um, I I wish there was some way we could figure out how to get some of that footage out and, and show people what a unique uh, thing this was. Um, it seemed like it was going to be a really groundbreaking show. And, you know, I'm sad for Jamie because, as you pointed out, I mean, this would have been a huge spotlight on him. And it probably would have catapulted his career, you know. Like he, he just had such a prominent part, but he was also so, he was so integral to the entire show. I don't think that, you know, they could have made as many good decisions as they did without him. Uh, that's, and I'm curious, I, I want to ask him that, you know, as far as his interaction with the producers and how much they were listening to him. Uh, that's something I hope that, I hope I get a chance to talk to him about this and hopefully he'll. He'll, he'll explain some of that to us because it feels like I still feel like I, 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 there's there's more to learn about this whole thing and what went down 
but you've certainly given us a good idea of what your experience was. And I, I'm really grateful to you for helping us out with that there. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. You're a wonderful person. And I'm so glad that you are part of the underground bunker community. Thanks, Tony. Thank you. All right. Talk to you later. Bye.